This week's message from Pastor Scott Huffman is titled, Act with Power. Well, we're continuing our study, as I mentioned. What I want to do today is I'd like to center in on this word power. You should receive power. And I I believe we mentioned last week, the word is dunamis. It's interesting. The word power is mentioned in the New Testament over 272 times. So it must be an important word. There are basically two, there are four Greek words for power, but the two main ones are dunamis. This is dunamis right here, which we said is miracle working power, explosive power, dynamite is where we, where we get our word dynamite. And we said that this power of God has a violence accompanied with it, a good violence, not a bad violence, and that it is able to work out in people's lives and establish God's kingdom and his desire and plan in our lives through this working of his power. The other word is exousia, and this would be authority. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so this is delegated authority, but nevertheless, it's still the word power. But most of the time you see this reference of power, you see dunamis. And this is what Jesus said, don't go anywhere. I'm, I've gone back to the, or I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to ascend to the Father. Wait until you be endued with power from on high. And you know my testimony. I was lacking power in my spiritual life. Been a Christian since I was 14 on a balmy night in Palm Springs, California. I was born again. And Christ came into my life. But I hadn't really received the power of the Spirit yet. And so for years, I lived inadequate in my spiritual life. I I was lacking. And what I was really lacking was, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And unfortunately, I had connected myself with a group of believers, denomination, that just really didn't believe that there was a subsequent experience to salvation, this what we call the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They believed that it all happened at once in salvation. And so because of that, you know, and, and wrong theology can lead you in the wrong direction, right? And, and, and they're dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, and, and we can always agree to disagree, but it's sad, it's tragic that, that some of this theology is, is perpetuated and it keeps people from fresh power, from the true experience of the Holy Spirit manifesting and resting upon his people. And I don't know why, well, I know the enemy is behind this, because you can't deny the word of God. The disciples, the apostles, and the, all the believers, those 120, were believers. They had to be, right? They had been with Jesus, they were born again, they knew the Lord, they were his children, But the thing they lacked was power. This is what I lacked, power in my life. And I told you I used to listen to these preachers after we got married. But see, this was all the leading of the Lord. God was leading me to this experience. And I would go, wow, that guy, I'd listen to him on the radio, and I'd go, okay, he seems like he's got power in his preaching. And this guy doesn't seem like he has that. What's the difference, you know? And But I could recognize that. I don't know, I guess a gift of God or whatever, but I could just sense. We call that the anointing, right? Some of them seemed anointed of God, these, these ministers and pastors and preachers, and others didn't. The message was identical. They were preaching the word of God, but some were with power and some were without power. And so I began this spiritual hunger for God's power and really the revelation of his righteousness because I was feeling lack in my life. I didn't feel I measured up to God. I felt condemned in my Christian life. You know, have you ever been there? And I lived in this kind of sphere of guilt. You know, if I, if I did, thought I did pretty good during the day, then I thought God liked me and was, my approval rating was high with God. 
But if I didn't do so good, then, then it went down, and then I was always like looking over my shoulder for some terrible event to happen because God was going to hit me over the head with a ball-peen hammer or something, you know. And so I had a very negative view of God. I had an incorrect view of God. It wasn't according to the Word of God. I mean, there it was, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, no guilt to those who are in Christ Jesus. And now there's a lot of preachers that will preach guilt on their congregations, Guilt will motivate you, but it will never change you. Do you hear me? It'll motivate you to do certain things and live a certain way and act a certain way and speak a certain way, maybe. This religious jargon. But it doesn't bring about spiritual change. It's not life change. I won't preach guilt on my people because God said there is no condemnation on his people. Jesus on the cross took that. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so I desired this understanding to be a reality, but it hadn't come yet. So here I was in this teacher's meeting, and there the Holy Spirit came upon me. And again, what, what I love about my experiences that I've had, this is my personal one, is it's, it's always been outside the sphere of other people. In other words, I've, I've rarely had anything happen where people were praying directly for me. It's just happened sovereignly by God. And I'm in this teacher's meeting, and I'm listening to a devotion, not really listening, because I was thinking about these things I was grappling with. I've been de- dealing with this for months. Wanted his power. Wanted to feel righteous. Wanted to measure up. Wanted to be fully accepted in the beloved. But w- was not... See, the word has to become a reality to you. You can read the Bible all you want. You can give you know, head knowledge, right? But until it becomes a reality within, where you actually experience it, it doesn't really mean much, Right? And so, just like the born-again experience, you know when you're born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When you're born again, you know it. I've never doubted my salvation because I knew I'd experienced what the Bible talked about, being born again. After I accepted Christ, I felt washed and clean on the inside. And I said, I'm a new person. I didn't know it says in the Bible, therefore, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are brand new. So here the word became a reality. The the word became incarnate. It became flesh. It became real. If our Christian experience isn't real, it's not worth much, right? The things that are written in the word are real. I remember right after I accepted the Lord, the gift of faith came on me. You know, the the, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are as as the Spirit chooses and as He moves. You can't conjure it up, other than maybe the gift of tongues, you could exercise that. But the other gifts come as the, as the Spirit moves on people, right? And this gift of faith came on me. I remember I was sitting at the breakfast table. I don't know what, Saturday, we, I don't know, here I am, you know, I'm a high school kid, and I'm reading my Bible, and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is really real. I mean, this is so real, I got to go tell somebody. It was, just, it was just this incredible faith I had. Well, it didn't last. <laughs> That's how the gifting of faith works. It's, it's a momentary thing. But, but I'll never forget how real I knew the word was and that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And people are going to go one of the two directions, right? And that we want to beg people almost. That's what Paul said. Beseech them to come into the kingdom, to go heaven's way. Amen? Amen. So I'm in the teacher's meeting and thinking about these things. And out of nowhere, warm oil comes out of heaven. And, I, and, I, and no one had to, you know, when you're having a true experience from God, you won't have to go, you, you won't have to kind of figure it out. You'll kind of know. You'll know it's God. 
Now, if it's the enemy, you'll be like, this is weird. It's freaking me. But when it's God, you just you have a real calm sense, like, this is God. And this warm oil came on my head and went all the way down my body. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and everybody around me had no idea, all these teachers. We're, it was just a devotional before school started. We walked out of that meeting, and I went up to people, and I started hugging them. And I said, I love you. I love you. I really love you. <laughs> and they were going, dude, back off. You know, I mean, <laughs> and I can't really blame them in a way. But I felt the love of God. What is, what is the expression of power? What is the manifestation of God's power? His love, his agape love. And the love of God was in me in a strong dimension. So I went back to my class. School hadn't started yet. And I just lifted my hands and I started praising God, you know. And soon after that, I began to realize when, when I would, when I would, close my eyes and lift my hands, the presence of the Lord would come right in here. And I've told you about the Ark of the Covenant. God said, I'll dwell between the two cherubim above the mercy seat. We are types of the Ark in God's presence. I don't know about you guys, but it comes right in here between here. You say, what's that like, Scott? It's kind of hard to describe, the presence of the Lord, but you know it when it's here. You can sense it. You can feel it, right? Paul said that we might feel the Lord. Some of say, why, brother, I don't have any emotion with this Christian experience. Well, then you're missing out <laughs> because God made us emotional. We are not to just live by our emotions, but there ought to be some kind of emotional feeling in this Christian experience. And so ever since that time, his power has been upon me. And it began to manifest itself in my hands, which you say, ooh, you're getting weird now, Scott. God did great miracles through the hands of the apostles, it's in the word of God, right? And you say, why their hands? Because God hides his power in his hands. Anthropomorphic term, but hands represent the extension of his working to people, to mankind. So Jesus himself ministered with his hands, laid hands on people. And you remember the little woman that came up to him and fell down before him and she decided, if I could just touch the hem of his garment... I'd be made whole. 12 years had a medical condition, some kind of bleeding disorder. And the doctors couldn't correct it. And so she said, but if I could just touch Jesus, if I could get a hold of Jesus, he's a, he's a miracle worker. He's a man of God. He's a prophet of God. He can help me. That's how we release our faith, guys, in our life. If I can just reach out and touch Jesus and believe the Lord in my life, that he moved mountains in my life that he'd do the impossible in my life, that he would work a miracle in my life. God is looking for faith. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is so important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe he is and rewarder of those that diligently seek him. She reached out and touched his garment. If I could just touch his garment. And there were people all around Jesus. Everybody wanted to touch Jesus, Right? He said, Jesus said, someone touched me. And the disciples said, I don't get it. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. He said, no, no, no. Somebody touched me with faith. And I felt, come on, power go out of me. That's, the, that's how this power is ministered. It moves from one person to another or to a group of people. Amen? I felt power go out of me. <laughs> I know what that feels like. When we pray for people, we feel power go out of us. And the little woman, he said, who touched me? And she finally said, I did. 
and, and he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Not my faith, your faith. Your faith in me and my healing power. Go and be whole. And she was totally cured. Amen? So there is an expression of power being manifested in Jesus' life. But Jesus said, I must do everything in accordance to the scripture. So he, at the beginning of his ministry, comes up to John the Baptist, his cousin, who's six months older, and he says, I've come here to be baptized, John. And John's had this incredible ministry, right? Thousands of people, multitudes have come to hear him preach a message of repentance for the remission of sins and to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said John had the greatest ministry ever recorded probably, but he didn't do any miracles. No miracles. But he certainly operated in power because he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. John was an amazing guy. But John says to Jesus, I can't do that, Jesus. He said, behold, you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even worthy that you get down and unloose the, your, your sandals, untie your sandals. I'm not worthy of that. And the Lord said, let it be done according to the scripture. And so Jesus went out with John and they went down into the water. When they came up, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove. A dove is a very gentle creature and rested upon Jesus. And immediately he was driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tested and tempted of the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he was there battling with the enemy. It wasn't just temptations. It was also trial. It was a, it was a, a trial by fire. And it depleted his energy and it depleted everything he had in him to resist the devil and his temptations that occurred at the very end. And the Bible says, then the devil left him for a while for a while. Isn't that weird? You know, in your life, sometimes the devil's beating you up a little bit. Uh, and then, then the Lord comes. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him, and he backs off. But he, you know he's coming around again, because <laughs> that's just the way it is. We're in this spiritual warfare. The angels came and ministered to Jesus. Now, I don't know how that works, okay? If the angels came and ministered to Jesus, then they can come and minister to us, because it says the angels are here on this earth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. Who are those people? Come on, us. We are heirs of salvation. The angels minister to us. And I don't know how they do that. And there's a lot of things you could talk about angels, and I don't want to move in that direction. But they ministered to Jesus. His strength came back. And, and the Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit was upon him in great power. The Bible said he had the Spirit without measure. We have a measure of the Holy Spirit. But the corporately as the church, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is the head and we're his body, right? So when we come together, there's a, there's a greater expression of power when two or three are gathered in his name. And, and, and that's why it's so important that you corporately come together because the Holy Spirit comes in a greater manifestation of his presence upon his people. Amen? And that's what we want. Oh, Lord, oh, Holy Spirit, manifest yourself to us. Make yourself real. And now Jesus had been empowered, and he went out and did what? The miraculous. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Jesus moved in great power, in great signs and wonders and miracles. That was the testimony. God was confirming the fact that he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God, but also confirming the fact of the fact that he was preaching the Word of God. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Spirit, with power, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. 
Jesus' ministry was a ministry of word and deed. And there were great miracles that occurred. And this miracle-working power continued in the early church in the book of Acts. And as we're going to see here, that, that once the power had been distributed upon the, the believers, the actions began to happen. The actions of the Holy Spirit. The miraculous began to come forth. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And let's look at who wrote this book. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. The writer of the book of Acts is, is Luke. And Luke wrote the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? And when Luke was completed, it was an unfinished document, an unfinished work. Luke, they said, was an historian of type. He was also a physician, and he may have traveled with Paul as his, kind of his personal physician, took care of Paul, right? We know at one occasion, you may not agree with me, but I think the Bible clearly teaches that Paul was sick. And when he came to Galatia, the region of Galatia, he said, I came in infirmity of the flesh. And this was a direct result of this demonic entity, a messenger of Satan that was buffeting him. And Paul didn't understand what was, why he was being afflicted. Sometimes we don't understand why we're being afflicted, you know? And, and we think, I, with his stripes, I'm healed. You know, the Bible speaks healing, and when am I dealing with this, you know? But, and Paul prayed, and the Lord said, three times Paul prayed over this. And, you know, we say three times. Shoot, I play 300 times. <laughs> but Paul had quite a connection with the Lord, and, and the Lord said, my, my power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people say, see, so Paul remained the rest of his life sick with some kind of eye condition or something. I don't believe that. When I first came to you, I came in infirmity of the flesh. I believe he was healed of that. But there was a time when he was dealing with that in his life. And, and the Lord had allowed this to keep him humble. Why? Because here's a man doing incredible miracles. Some of the greatest people that have moved in the miraculous realm have had some severe illnesses to deal with. And you say, that doesn't make sense to me. How can a healer still be sick, you know? Because we're all wounded healers. And maybe God allows these things to keep us low, keep us on the ground, right? Uh, but I still believe that with his stripes we're healed and the healing is ever present for us. And sometimes we just have to stand on the word of God and say, Lord, I believe I'm healed in Jesus' name. Even though I'm fighting this thing, this is dealing, I'm dealing with this condition. I believe Paul was delivered from this, but there was a time when he had to deal with this. But God was using him in great works of power. So Luke was his physician that traveled with him, and he was a historical, I mean, historian. And, and so really the book of Acts is really a, a book of history, and it continues right after Luke. Of both the things which Jesus did and taught, what he did and what he taught. And I told you, for a new believer, for anybody, but the book of Mark is a great book to start in because it's basically what Jesus did. And if you don't know Jesus of Nazareth very well, then read about what he did. It's pretty darn exciting. <laughs> it's one miracle after another, right? One miraculous event after another miraculous event. It moves like a motion picture. It's colorful and wonderful. I love that book. It's short, and it just really talks about the works of Jesus. Jesus, a mighty prophet in word and in deed. So Jesus said, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works that these shall you do because I go to the Father. We are to do the works of Jesus. Now, where in the church that got lost, I don't know. 
And instead of doing the works of Jesus, it became just speaking the words of Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We should preach the word of God. But Paul noticed there were these preachers going around, and they were puffed up. You know, there's a lot of preachers that can get puffed up and think they're somebody. You know? And there are a lot of pre- preachers that are very eloquent, you know, very gifted with the gift of gab. and They're, they're great speakers, great orators, right? But Paul said, you're like one of those people. You guys are out there with, you've got your great, you know, sermons going. They're fantastic. You've memorized them. You're a great orator. You're very animated. You're charismatic. But I want to ask you one question. Where's your power? Where's your power? Very important. If there's no power in the preaching, there's no working of God in that message. Now, God will still use that to save people, but you won't see the miraculous take place where a person is not operating in power. It's impossible. That's why Jesus said, you should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Paul came to Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Wait a minute. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? (laughs) Sounds like that's something you need to do after you believe. I want to encourage you, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on this gifting of power. It, It turned my life all around. Not only did I experience his power in my life, but I also realized that I was, I'd been made righteous. I was the righteousness of God in Christ. And I was fully accepted in God. And here's the cool thing. This revelation came to me too, that my sins had been removed. You see, because when I, in my Christian experience, it was always, you got you to take your sins every day like a grocery list and regurgitate them out to God. And, then if, you, and then if you don't do that, then he's going to like hold it over you. So you got to make sure you mention every sin you did that day so that you can have them cleansed. The only problem with that is the cleansing took place over 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. Those sins have already been removed. They are gone. They don't exist. They don't exist. God said, I'll remember your sin no more. You know what happened to me? I had this consciousness of no sin. Now, are you saying, Scott, you were without sin? No, I didn't say that. But I had a consciousness that my sins were gone. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. We're not going to turn there. The Bible clearly says that if the blood of bulls and goats had removed their sin, they would no longer have a consciousness of sin. Woo-hoo! That's what I got. I don't have a consciousness of sin. Can you really feel that? Yeah, you really can. That, may, that so, so sets you free. Oh, because now you know you're righteous. Because if you don't have sin, you got to be righteous. And if you're righteous, it gives you boldness. It gives you confidence in God. All of this came by revelation of the Holy Spirit to me when he came upon me. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You don't want to miss out on that. Now, I want to move over to verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded, that's Jesus, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And we've already read this scripture here. And the Bible talks about, the, the, oh, we'll look at verse number six. And therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. And what I want to take a look at is the fact they thought the kingdom was coming now that Jesus was going to actually become king and take over the, the earth and, and be the ruler of the Jews, the king that they had waited and anticipated for, for, for centuries. And Jesus said, you, 
it's not for you to know the times and seasons. And that's the problem in our lives. We want to know the times and seasons about everything. God, I got to know. I got to know today. I got to know yesterday. And he won't tell us because it's not for us to know. <laughs> and believe me, I don't think if you knew everything, I think you'd be a mess. You'd probably blow up. You know, it wouldn't be good. <laughs> and so it's good not to know everything, not to know everything that God is doing, right? Because there is a time and there is a season for everything. Do you hear me? And we need to wait upon God's timing in our life. Because if you get out of that sink, you're in trouble, right? But if you are faithful to the Lord and wait in for his timing in your life, everything good and everything perfect will come to pass. Praise God. And we believe God sent us down here to Laguna de Gale for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but I believe it's coming. And I believe he planted us down here for a reason, that God would want to move somewhere in South Orange County. That's God's business. I mean, when Evan Roberts was used in Wales to bring this great revival, nobody would have ever expected it, right? And it came suddenly. And a lot of times God comes suddenly. And praise God for that. So we don't know the times and seasons, but God does. But you shall receive power, Jesus told them. Now, I want to look at a couple references to power. Let's go to Matthew 22. Stay right there in Acts with your finger or your marker. Matthew 22. Boy, we're having fun. We're really moving fast today, but it's hard to get by some of this stuff, you know, and, and you, you just got to keep putting it out there, putting it out there. This is an interesting story. You know, th these guys really, they were always trying to catch Jesus, the, the scribes and Pharisees and the religious dudes. I'm not opposed to religion, but, but Christianity is really not a religion. Can I just say that? It really isn't. That's why our, our motto is lighthouse, no religion, just life. And some people have criticized that, that, that I would criticize religion. I'm not. But I just don't put Christianity in that, in that place. It's so much different than any other of the world's religions. And so it's not a religious experience. It's a life experience. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and you might have it to the fullest extent. We are to get the fullness of life. We are experiencing God's fullness in our life, right? And the greatest manifestation of that fullness is joy. I mean, if you've got joy in your life, there's really not much anybody can do to you, <laughs> you know? Jesus said, nobody can take my joy. Joy is the secret of the Christian. Boy, it's a fruit of the Spirit, you know? Love, joy, peace. And what we need, if anything, we need more joy. And I was talking to Marilyn about this the other day, and I really think the one thing people want more in their life than anything else is joy. They're not very happy. They think things are going to make them happy. People are going to make them happy. Places are going to make them happy. You always have these great expectations, and they, never, you never, they don't meet your expectations, right? This great vacation didn't work out right. Very good. You know, actually, the best things in life are usually spontaneous. It wasn't planned. It just happened. Wow, that was really cool, you know? So we need to be ever-present of the Lord speaking in our life and Hear his still small voice because he's speaking to us all the time, but we're not always listening. Look at Matthew 22. Let's look at verse 23. That day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, why, do you call it, why are they called Sadducees? Well, they don't believe in the resurrection, so you see, they're sad. They're sad, you see. That's all right, forget it. But, in, <laughs> but if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're going to be pretty sad because the one thing people fear more than anything else, and that's death. Right? Sure. It's the last enemy, the Bible says. But Jesus defeated that enemy. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? He that believes on me will never die. He who believes in me will never die. Your body may go out, but you're not going to die. You'll always be with the Lord. Amen? Verse 24, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother, uh, excuse me, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died herself. So she's had seven husbands. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Kind of a ridiculous question if you ask me. But they're trying to trick Jesus, right? So who, which one is going to be her, his wife? Which of these seven gentlemen, right? And look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, verse 29, you are mistaken. In other words, you're wrong. <laughs> Not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Can I tell you? A lot of us don't know the scriptures and we don't understand the power of God. You know the power if you've experienced it and you know what it is. If you haven't, you don't know what it is. It's that simple. And if you know the word of God, you'll have an understanding of these things or you don't. And they didn't have an understanding of that. And so Jesus said right here, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of the Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. God is alive, alive forevermore. And these people that he mentioned, Abraham, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs are still alive is what he was saying. They still exist. But in heaven, things are different. There's no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. Now, I, I believe that when we get to heaven, I'll be chasing Marilyn around all over heaven. But I still, but the point is we're not married like we are here. So it's a different, it's a different experience. But don't get all weird about that because I think you're going to be as close to you, your mate as you'll be as close to everybody. But you'll still be as close to your mate as you were on earth. Did you get that? So, but everybody's going to be very, very close, <laughs> right? It's, it'll be a different expression, a different realm, a different reality. But a good one, a good one. Marriage really here is to represent the relationship between Jesus and his church. It's a representation when people get a divorce, how that must break the heart of God because it is misrepresenting the church and its relationship with Jesus, the bride of Christ and the, and the groom, right? So when we have a good Christian marriage, praise the Lord, it is a testimony of the church. But in so many ways, the church is broken like marriages are broken and it's disunified. And there are people that do things in the church for their own personal gain. And God is grieved over that because that's not how the church was set up. So in this last move of God, he's going to use the nobodies. I really believe this. People will be raised up that nobody knows who's that person. And they're going to be operating in great power. Look at Stephen, first Christian martyr. He was a deacon. He was an apostle. And he did miracles, right? And he preached his last sermon and they stoned him to death. And the Bible says he looked up into heaven and he could see into heaven and Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. Welcome him home, thou good and faithful servant. We never have another recorded instance where Jesus stood up to welcome the first Christian martyr into heaven, right? And there was a glow on his face. The Shekinah glory was on him. And he went to be with the Lord. 
And then you have Philip, another deacon, who wasn't an apostle, who was doing great miracles. See, that God's going to raise up people that nobody knows. Who's that person? I don't know. And use them in great power, right? So that he would be glorified in this. Because I'm going to tell you, when a miracle takes place, a true miracle, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a solemn and awesome event. And God will not let someone be lifted up in that. Because it's to glorify him and him alone. And if a person has not operating in the right motive, God won't use them in that realm, right? But if we have our hearts right and we're waiting upon the Lord, he might just push, put us into a position where that happens. And we're going to find, I got to tell you something, when these miracles happen, people think, they, they, you read about these miracles and you think that there was no emotional reaction. Are you kidding me? That's what you don't realize. When the miraculous takes place, it gets kind of weird. People get afraid. They really do. The demoniac that was delivered from demons that was, you know, walking around naked, cutting himself and just totally deranged. Jesus came to him and set him free. And do you know what the people did? You think they go, oh, this is awesome. Praise God. They said, get out of here. You are freaking us out. That guy was a lunatic, lunatic nutcase. And he's walking around being normal. It's amazing to me how we think, oh, well, when these miracles happen, I would just be calm. Are you kidding me? When a miracle like that happens, you will be so, it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, Peter acted that way. We don't know how, when the divine manifests itself, when power manifests in that dimension, we don't know how to contain ourselves. And, and, and it becomes very, very spooky in a lot of ways. And you'll see in the book of Acts that the people, there was a, a large portion of people that did, had nothing to do with these, these disciples. They respected them because they knew something was happening, but they didn't want to be a part of it. They were afraid of it. And when this move of God comes, there'll be a section of the body of Christ that will not understand this because you don't understand the power of God, nor do you understand the scriptures. And they will actually attribute this to the work of the enemy. They did that in Jesus' ministry. You have the spirit of Beelzebub. You're operating in Satan's power. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Amen? How could Satan be fighting himself? Otherwise, it wouldn't stand. These miracles are holy and they're awesome. And they're going to come to the earth. I believe it. We're going to see extraordinary things happen. But we need to see that in the book of Acts... It's not just like, then this happened and that happened. It was great expression of God's miraculous power working. I mean, you could walk into the shadow of Peter and be healed. That is just outright freaky. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm sure even the apostles probably didn't even understand it all. You know? Because when God's moving, he, he, God is so much greater than us that we don't understand it. But we just yield to the Spirit. We know it's the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is kind and the Spirit is loving and he would never do anything to harm us. That's how you know it's God. If it's of the enemy, it's going to be the wrong kind of fear, a kind of fear that freaks you out in the sense of scary. I, I, I don't like this. I want to get away from it. But when it's God, you'll be drawn to it. You won't understand it, and it could be a little strange, but you'll be drawn to it. Okay, very quickly, we're going to close. I want to just go to one more scripture, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. According to the power that works. God says that 
he is able to do exceedingly abundantly, look at the superlatives there, above all that we ask or think. If I were to tell you, says the Lord, the things that I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe it. That occurred in the Old Testament with the prophet Samuel. But I believe that God couldn't tell us all the things he's going to do because we wouldn't believe it. They'd be too extraordinary. Above all, we ask or think according to the power. That power is inside you as a Christian. And if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that power is upon you. And Jesus said that power will make you a witness to other people. They'll either love you or hate you. Jesus' ministry was like that. They were either drawn to him or they hated him. And eventually they killed him. Boy, that power draws the line. Puts people on one side or the other. But that's good. Because you've got to make a decision for Jesus. You're either with him or against him, but you can't walk the fence. But when you say, yes, Jesus, he's your best friend forever. Thank you for listening to the message. As Pastor Scott Huffman shared, the word of the Lord has to become a reality to you. So our hope at Lighthouse is that you seek the Lord and ask that his manifestation of power and presence be more evident in your life. For more information about Lighthouse, please visit our website at lagunaniguellighthouse.org. You can also listen to past messages from Pastor Scott Huffman, as well as to check out upcoming events. We hope that you have a blessed week in the Lord, and we hope to see you next week as Pastor continues his study on the book of Acts. God bless.